Good morning. It's uh, it's good to be back in the house again. Margaret and I have been gone for the last couple of weeks, and as I uh, mentioned in the early service, we, uh, well, I said we uh, attended a couple of other uh, really good churches while we were gone. Actually, I attended a couple of other really good churches. Margaret only attended one because she spent one Sunday looking after four granddaughters while their sister was being born, uh, which was a pretty nice thing to have happen. Um, but uh, yeah, come on, let's hear it for the grandchild. But um, none of the places we visited were Springhouse, and uh, this is home, and it's really good to be here. A couple of quick announcements this Wednesday evening. Uh, Pastor Kevin O'Day is starting a Wednesday night series that'll uh, run through uh, June, except for June the 24th, which will be uh, Springhouse Presents, and then, yeah, whoo, and then uh, this coming Sunday night, not tonight, but the next Sunday night at 6 o'clock, uh, Tammy Sweeney has her uh, CD release concert party here from 6 to 7.30, and I invite you to be a part of that <clears throat> if you have the time. Yeah, today we're going to talk about being stewards of time. Uh, we've been in a series all year about um, how to live drenched. And this portion, this, this series of how to live drenched has been about stewardship. And a lot of people break out in hives when they hear that the church is talking about stewardship. But uh, the money one was two or three weeks ago. And if you didn't hear it, you need to go back and hear it because it was really good. I preached it. And... <laughs> But uh, we're going to talk about something more important than money today. So would you stand with me? And let's read a passage of scripture from John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for your spirit. I pray that the spirit would make the word alive in us today. Anoint our ears, anoint our hearts, uh, anoint this, uh, the word that goes forth. Uh, use it to impact our lives in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. Time is undoubtedly weird. I mean, when you really stop to think about, you know, where it came from and, and how we measure it and what... I, I, I get the 365 days a year thing, because that's 
you know, how many times the earth rotates when it's going around the, the, the sun for one complete revolution. Uh, but then you break up 365 days into 12 months, and 12 doesn't actually go into 365. And then you, uh, and then you break months up into weeks, and four weeks doesn't actually go into any of the months except for one of them three times every four years. Uh, and then you break up, uh, uh, weeks into, into, into 24 hour days. Where did that come from? Uh, 60 minutes to the hour. I, uh, don't we live in, don't, have these people never heard of the metric system? I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't things be a little simpler than that? Where did all of this, uh, complexity come from? Time, time is sort of a, is sort of a weird thing. Um, but it belongs to God and it is something that is from God. Because Psalm 24, 1 through 2, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. And this, this concept is the foundation for understanding that we don't own anything. We never own anything. We are stewards. Time is also invisible. Unfortunately, the effects of time are not invisible. But time itself is invisible. But it still belongs to God. Oh, by the way, I was just, yeah, that, this was for, uh, this was for Ryan Montgomery, um, <laughs> because he's a big Doctor Who fan and Doctor Who's a Time Lord and everything. And what I was going to say is, you've heard of Time Lords, you're not one. <laughs> you are a steward of time. There is a Time Lord. And it's the one who created it. Colossians 1.16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And we, when we think of creation, we, we think of the visible, but there's a whole lot more invisible than there is visible. Uh, dark matter, dark energy is supposed to comprise, uh, well, according to... Physicist, the leading physicist theorist, over 95% of the energy and mass in the universe. Wind, you've never seen wind. It's an invisible thing. You've seen the effects of it, perhaps, and you may have seen some dust being blown along by it. You've never actually seen it. You've never really seen love. You see its effects. And you've never really seen time. But the invisible things were created by Christ, and they belong to him by virtue of creation. Over in Genesis 1.14, even the measurements of time, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And so in this passage, we see God actually creating time and its measurements for us. And when you hear God say, where it says, God said, Understand, when something is said, a word goes forth. And you know who the word is. It's Christ. That's why I'm quite conscious about uh, using the phrase, God said. God, Unless I know God said it, which I know from Scripture. You know, when I'm talking about things that, God, that I feel like God has said to me, sometimes I'll say, I feel like God said. And, and occasionally, occasionally I'll say, God said. But I'm real cautious about that because I don't want to take the Lord's name in vain. 
And taking the Lord's name in vain isn't necessarily about just using naughty words. That may not even be taking the Lord's name in vain. That may just be naughty or being crude. Taking the Lord's name in vain is taking the Lord's name and trying to apply it to something that it doesn't belong on. That's what taking the Lord's name in vain actually is. God is the true time Lord and not just because of creation. He can move things around if he wants to. He has the authority to do that. Over in Acts 1-7, the disciples were asking Jesus about when he was going to do certain things. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. He has the authority to do it. The Antichrist will try and have that authority, usurp that authority, but he doesn't have the authority. Over in, uh, over in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel's talking about the Antichrist and says he will speak against the most, most high and oppose his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. And the reason it'll be for time, times, and half a time is because that's what God said by his authority. And he may decide to change it. Because Jesus said, pray that the days will be shortened. Prayer actually works. Only God has the authority to change times. Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar earlier in, in, in that book, he, God, changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and raises up others. He has the authority to do that, but he himself is not subject to time. How old is God? There's a question for you. How, how old do you think God is? He's older than Ray Tabor. <laughs> he just thinks. So. I, I, I said that in the early service and I realized Ray might not be here today, but obviously he is because he just yelled out. Uh, but I, I really love to talk about Ray behind his back in front of his face. That's... that's <laughs> Uh, I knew that was coming. Modern science will say that the universe is approximately 14 billion years old. Therefore, we might say God's at least 14 billion years old. God doesn't look at it that way. He doesn't look at it that way at all. The scripture does refer to God as the ancient of days, but that doesn't really have anything to do with how old he is. He collects days. All of the days are his. They belong to him. All that have ever been, all that are now, all that ever will be. God owns all the days, past, present, and future. Over in Revelation, John saw uh, the throne of God and the four living creatures, and they're constantly saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They're all His. Uh, over the last year or so, my... Uh, um, one of my favorite writers is a, is a lady named uh, Diana Galvedon, and she uh, I noticed a phrase in one of her books that just that just blew me away. And actually, I put it on my emails now as I send them out. In the light of eternity, time casts no shadow, and that's the way that it is with God. Psalm ninety verse four tells us, "A thousand years in your sight are like a day." That has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Second Peter tells us, do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years are like a day. That, that is not a formula for figuring out prophecies. 
What that means is time casts no shadow where God is. A day and a thousand years are are one and the same. We tend to think of God, the father with a long white beard, but that's because we're trapped in the matrix of time. His, his, his first incarnate revelation of himself to us was a baby in a manger. First time we saw him in the flesh was a baby in a manger. Uh, this, uh, this last week, Margaret and I had Father Ray Cash and his wife over for dinner one night and he, uh, he was telling me about, how many of you know that this is Trinity Sunday? Yes, yeah, those of you who were in the first service. Okay, yeah, well, well Tr- Tr- Trinity Sunday in the Christian calendar follows the, follows Pentecost Sunday, which is uh, what last Sunday was. And uh, Father Ray hates to preach on, on Trinity Sunday because they got to preach about the Trinity and you can't explain the Trinity. So great. Yeah. So he always hands that job off. But uh, apparently a few years ago, he, uh, he got, he got stuck with Trinity Sunday. And so he was preaching on Trinity Sunday and he, and he did a children's sermon and he had three kids come up and he put a, a nice fedora on one of them and he put a ball cap on the other and he put a sack over the other one. Okay. Uh, and, and he said, okay, Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit, which I, I'd be dang, I don't know if I'd do that or not. But, you know, he's Anglican, he can do what he wants to do. And, uh, but, but then he was saying, but this doesn't, this doesn't actually explain the Trinity, because these are three different beings, and so this doesn't really work. This would be modalism. And, uh, he was, he was getting ready to, to do something else with him, and one of the kids, one of the kids from the back, the guy who, who had put the cap on was the tallest one. One of the kids from the back talk, called out and said, why don't you just put Jesus in the front and the other two behind him and then we can look at him and know what they are like. Oh. Yeah, of course. That's exactly what he had in mind doing. <laughs> at least at that point he was. Jesus came. To show us the Father, and the first incarnation we see of the Father is a baby in a manger. The time that is entrusted to you is the most valuable thing that you have. Is that this is more important than money? It's a lot more important than money. Money cannot buy time. Sometimes you hear people say, "Time is money." No, uh, you can use time to make some money, but money can't can't really flow the other way. Money can provide leisure and maybe some better health care. I mean, you know. But in reality, the occasion will arrive when money will not be able to buy one more minute. Uh, A couple of weeks ago in the series, I was talking about one of Jesus' parables where uh, a, a man had such a hard, large harvest, he didn't know what to do with it. And he decided, well, I'll build bigger barns, and that, that's what I'll do with it, and I'll store it away. And God came to him and said, you fool, your soul is being required of you this very night. Who'll get those barns then? Who'll get that harvest then? And, and there was no way the guy could go, hey, look, I'll give you half of this harvest. You know, if you'll give me another day, it doesn't work that way. How many of you are old enough to know who this guy is? Wow, there were more old people in the first service or more people willing to admit. You want to see where I want to go with this time thing before you admit to your age, right? 
This guy's name is Howard Hughes. And at his, uh, at, uh, during his lifetime, at, at one point, he was definitely considered to be the richest man in the world, had, had the most money in the world. And uh, he, he was an aviator. He flew planes. He dated beautiful movie stars and uh, owned casinos, all, all kinds of things. And then he got weird when he got old because he didn't want to die. He became a, a real freaky germaphobe and everything. He died. Richest man in the world. He died. This is, this is a young Ted Williams. He's a baseball player, for those of you who don't know that. Uh, but what you may know about him, uh, he, I, I don't know, he died, what, probably 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, and apparently he had his body frozen or there's uh, it's... Um, a mystery, maybe his head frozen, something, so that he could maybe come back again someday. He won't. <laughs> Steve Jobs is dead. Martin Luther King is dead. Jim, Jimmy's gone. Oh, no. Madam, you, you know, all of these. And for not, not any of them, not fame, money, none of it could buy another minute when it was time it was time. Time has been entrusted to you, but it's not an evil thing. It's not an enemy. When God created it, it says God looked at what he created and said, this is good. This is, this is a good thing that I've made here. How much time do you have? That's a, it's a mystery. When I was a kid growing up, there was a, a scripture verse that I used to hear quoted Real often, and for some reason, you don't really hear it much anymore. And I think we probably, it would be good for us to hear it more frequently. It's, it's, it's James chapter 4. It says, oh, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. He's talking about people who go, well, tomorrow I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. He says, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if, if it's the Lord's will, we will live. And do this or that. And since I grew up in the country, the phrase actually was, Lord willing, the creek don't rise. I reckon. I'll be there. I'm planning on it. And truth of the matter is, the creek doesn't have anything to do with it. If the creek rises, that's the Lord made that happen. And the reason why this is important is it, it, branded something inside of my soul that made me realize that tomorrow doesn't belong to me. It never belongs to me. The, the next, this afternoon doesn't belong to me. It, it belongs to God. And anything that I'm planning on doing, well, I can plan all I want to, but it's only going to happen if God says, yeah, we'll, we'll let you get there. We'll go there with it. And I don't think people understand that much anymore. I think we have a tendency to think that, well, you know, I've got money in the bank. I've got ga- gas in my car. i got plans for tomorrow. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm cruising. Well, you are, Lord willing, if, if, it is, if it is the Lord's will. Some people claim that, uh, that we have a promise over in Psalm 90 regarding our age. 90 verse 10, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. 
You know, and I've heard it taught, you know, the Lord has promised you 70 years. And you know what? That sounded a whole lot better at 25 than it does at 65. I mean, at 25, it sounded like, well, you know, yeah, 70 years, you know. Now it's kind of sounding like, are you kidding? Are you, is that for real? But if you're going to claim that as a promise from God, you've got to claim the rest of the verse, the rest of the sentence, which says, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, and they quickly pass and we fly away. And Moses isn't saying God has to give you 70 years. He's just basically saying we live for a while. We live for a while. And our days are in God's hands. In truth, we don't know how many days we have. And that's a good thing. Because if we did, we'd do something stupid. I mean, if you knew, hey, I got another, I got another 15 years. I got 14 years and 11 months to be crazy. And then I'll sober up. Or if you knew, hey, it's going, I'm, I'm out of here tomorrow. It, it, where's my credit card? What are those credit limits on that thing? Yeah. Let's, let's go out there and get it done. So what are we supposed to do with the time that's been allotted to us? How are we supposed to steward that time? Well, the obvious uh, answer for a lot of people would be work. Work, 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 work. And clearly you're supposed to work, and I would suggest that a life without work is supremely boring and unsatisfying. So I'm certainly not saying to, uh, to not work. However, work is only part of the answer, and if, and if it becomes the whole answer, then it, it becomes your God. Becomes your God. Because if you, if you know that, uh, it's all about work and I, and I, and I gotta work and if I got a waking hour here, I gotta work and, and I'm supposed to be working, then you don't need to hear anything from God. All you gotta do is go to work. You don't need to hear what He's actually saying to you for that day. I had a, I had a pastor once who, uh, and, you know, he was a good pastor, a lot of good things about him. But as with all leaders, I mean, you know, myself included, you you learn some things to do from them and you learn some things to not do. And some things you go, I don't think I'd do it that way. Uh, and one of the one of the things that he would say probably every certainly every month, but it felt like every week was I'd rather burn out than rust out. And that sounds pretty good. But are those the only two options? We live in a very polarizing society. We have, we have a polarizing culture, and it's kind of like you're either over here or you're over here. And there's nothing in between, we tend to feel like. And that's bad, because you may go, I'm here, and God may want you, like, right here. But you can't go there, because I'm here. God's actually supposed to be in charge of those things. Rather than us in charge of those things. Uh, a, a verse that, I mean, work was usually the answer I would get as a child growing up. And uh, this verse would be quoted. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Well, what is he saying? Is he saying nobody can work at night? Does Adam work at night? Yes, he does. 
And he's a policeman. How many of you are glad that policemen work at night? Okay, and the rest of you, you don't want them out there, why? Is he saying that every day you got to work? He didn't. What he's saying is when it's time to work, you work. When, when, when the hour comes, when the time comes, you do it. When the time comes to rest, you rest. When the time comes to enjoy, you enjoy. But you'd let God decide that. Uh, you know, for those who wouldn't vote for work, maybe they would vote for play. And, and quote Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Time for Xbox, a time for, um, is there anything besides Xbox? <laughs> PlayStation, yes, yes. <laughs> time for Comic Con. Uh, okay. Play should be the work of children. By the time we become adults, let me just say we should have discovered deep enough interest to bring joy into our life. But uh, let me just let me just say one thing because we are in a, in a very play-driven society. Uh, I, I was looking. I read an article this week about uh, the educational system in the country, and and the, and uh, it was comparing the grade scores in various states to nations in the world, and it was color coded. And it had, uh, uh, I think, five five different color codes from uh, cream color to dark purple. Dark purple was like uh, top 15 nations in the world. And none of our states were purple, by the way. Uh, one of them was the next color, uh, dark blue. But most of them were in these last three. Tennessee was, uh, we were, apparently, we uh, we compete very well with Turkey. Uh, it's what we compete with. But uh, they, they ask exchange students, you know, why do you think this is? What, what seems to be the reason why we don't seem to do as well as others? And they, and they gave three reasons. And two of, them, two of them were pretty obvious. I could have given them. One of them I didn't really see coming until I read it. And I went, oh, yeah. Uh, um, the two that were, that were pretty obvious, as they said, that, um, that in their... In their School systems, the work was just simply more challenging. Said so they they didn't have as much homework, but the work was a lot more challenging. The the things that they that they learned and the things that they had to do. Uh, a second one was that in in their culture in their country, there they all seem to recognize education as being integral and tied to where their life was going and the quality of life that they would have, which for some reason doesn't seem to equate with us here. But the, but the one that kind of got me was the one where they said, in our country, sports is a hobby. In our country, we go to school to learn and we play some sports too. And it feels like here, we go to school to play sports and maybe we might learn something too. Yeah, let's all join a touring team. Or let's not. Maybe. Uh, we like to play in our country. Uh, is work or play better? And either one, it's better to serve. 
Serve. That's what it is. You say, well, that's work, isn't it? Well, it all depends. Uh, I, I was also I was listening to an interview with a with a with an actress this last week. I I don't remember her name. I didn't know who she was. I'm out of touch. Apparently, she's pretty successful. But she was saying that she had gone to school uh, when she first went to college. She was studying pre med, and she really felt like medicine was what God had called her to do. And then she did a play, and she went, "Oh my goodness, I I love this, and I have some talent at this." and uh, and she she talked to uh, to her pastor. Well, it was, it was her priest. She was a Roman Catholic gal. She talked with her priest, and she said, "Yeah, I I feel so badly. I don't know what to do. I uh, I, I really felt like my my life was called to serve people uh, in in medicine, but I I really loved doing this, and I and I kind of want to do this." And she said, "He said something to me that totally set me free. Changed my life." I thought, ooh, want to hear this? Well, this is what he said. He said, I generally find that we serve best when we do what we love most. And so whatever, whatever God has put in there, that passion that he's put in there, if you, if you follow it, if you pursue it, it'll, he will, it'll serve others. So what we really need to do, the answer isn't work, work, work. The answer isn't play, play, play. The answer is we need to live our lives in the, in the light of eternity. Live, living in, in the light of eternity is really what it's about. Psalm 90 verse 12 goes on to tell us, teach us to number our days aright so that we may have a heart of wisdom. And that doesn't mean, let's figure out how many days I've got left. It means I need to understand that every Numbering my days aright are, is that none of them belong to me. <coughs> they all belong to Him. They are all in His hands. Every year, every, every day, every minute, every second is a gift from God. We tend to break time into categories. We get, well, that was a good year. You know, well, that was a bad year, man. I'm, I'm glad to see that one go. Yeah. Did you have a good week? Yeah. Was it a bad week? We tend to break them into categories. And, and sometimes you'll see uh, little signs and stuff like uh, this one. My worst day on the golf course still beats my best day in the office. Really? How about that day you got that big raise and a, and a promotion? How about that day you asked the girl in the cubicle next to you to marry you? And she said, yeah, I'll tell her about this golf course thing. <laughs> Things don't get much worse than being nailed to a cross. But Jesus viewed time in the light of eternity. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross and scorned its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And you kind of go, well, you know, being nailed to the cross and sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God are two different things, aren't they? Not an eternity. And we should fix our eyes on him and, and we should we should emulate him. We, we tend to break it up where well, we got Blue Monday, we got uh, Hump Day, Wednesday. Who made that up? When did that start? Did that, did that commercial start that? Uh, anyway, you know, TGIF, Friday, it's a, it's a good one, it's a bad one. It depends on where we are in the week. 
But the Bible says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, which one? Uh, this one? Hump blue, thank God it's day. There are days of tears and days of loss and days of pain, but in the light of eternity, they too are a gift from God to be stewarded. I will bless the Lord at all times. He's good. So, didn't we read a different scripture about that? Yeah, we read the wedding of Cana. I'm I'm getting there now. That was my introduction. Okay, I don't blame you for not laughing at that. I, I mean, Rhonda knows I was kidding, but the rest of you might have thought I was serious. <clears throat> and the reason why we read this is because I really like this story. <laughs> uh, uh, last year we went through the book of John, and early in the year, you know, uh, I, I'm sure it was early in the year because this is chapter two. We came to this, and uh, and uh, I think one of my, I think my favorite moment in the story is when Mary comes to Jesus and says, "They have no more wine." Yeah, just like a woman, and you know, and, he, well, and, and Jesus is going. That means what? You know, <laughs> okay, yeah, I gotta go home today, so I'm I'm gonna be. Uh, <laughs> no, she she loves me. <laughs> Jesus Jesus went to a few parties. He was a steward of his time, but he lived in the light of eternity and. You know, eternity uh, sounds like it's going to start off with a pretty good party. You get right down to it. And, but I, I noticed this time through that there's actually three three mentions of time in this passage. On the on the third day, they were at a wedding. Um, chapter one talks about the calling of the first disciples, and and there are. Instances there where it says, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And on that, that last time it says the next day, Jesus told the disciples, said, I need to go to Galilee. Well, apparently it took him three days to get there. So on the third day, they were back in Galilee. And then Jesus, in talking to his mother, says, my hour has not yet come. And, you know, <clears throat> Jesus was always very sensitive about the right time that things were supposed to be done. So, I mean, time time mattered to him. Uh, but even though his hour hadn't yet come, he let his mother talk him into doing it. And, and here's the thing. I mean, I, I'm certainly not one of these people who thinks you can tell God what to do. I mean, God is sovereign. He does what is right, regardless of what you want him to do. Uh, but I am one of these people who thinks you can tell God what you want him to do and he might do it. Might not do it if you don't tell him. So prayer is pretty important when you get right down to it. And so even though he said my hour has not yet come, he went ahead and gave him some more wine anyway because his mom said to do it. And then it ends up by saying you have saved the best 
for now. Yesterday is gone. You have no promise of tomorrow. You have a promise of eternity. But you have no promise of tomorrow. In reference to time, all you've got is a thing called now. That's all you've got. And God's best comes now. Uh, the, the, uh, the master of the banquet was talking to the, to the groom when he said this. And when he said, you have saved the best for now, he actually was wrong. Uh, the groom didn't have anything to do with what's happening right now. God had saved the best for now. You know, the, the guy was telling him, he said, you know, they usually serve the best wine at the beginning, and then later on, after everybody's had a lot, they bring out the cheap stuff. You save the best for now. God had saved the best for now, and God's best is always available for you right now. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what is going on otherwise, working or resting, sleeping or waking, laughing or crying. Every now. Contains the opportunity for God's presence to break through. God's favor and God's salvation to come into your life. 2 Corinthians 6.12 says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And when we read that, we dare not say then, when he wrote it, because he didn't use the word then, and he didn't say A.D. 63. He said, now. And that's what you're living in. And not just when you're in a church building, not just on a Sunday morning, not just after some good songs. It will be now, should the Lord will, when you go to work tomorrow. It will be now, when you're sitting around the dinner table with your family this evening. It'll be now when the call comes, something terrible has happened. It'll be now when something good happens in your life. And what you need to realize is that now is a gift from God. Would you stand with me? Will those who are going to pray for people come forward? And if you're here and you need prayer for anything, now is the time for God's favor. You can't be prayed for tomorrow. You want to be prayed for now. You can't encounter God's favor tomorrow. You can only encounter it now. And if you, if you don't know Christ and you'd like to, to come to know Christ, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the time of salvation. If you don't need to come worship with us for a few moments, we'll create an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to be felt by those who are around you.
Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who sent his son into the world to reveal to us who he is his beauty may that revelation be made real to you may it be implanted upon your heart and may you be transparent so that those around you may see it through Jesus Christ our Lord 